This is the third weekend of a special sermon series called God, Money, and Me, and this morning what we're going to do is spend some time talking about how to take control of our finances, which is a critical part of learning to manage whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you, whether it's a little or a lot. No one will ever experience financial peace in their life or financial freedom in their life until they learn how to manage the money that they have in their life. And that's a statement that's true regardless of whether you have a little or a lot because we all know the stories of people who have made and lost large amounts of money. I was reading a blog post this week that was talking about that related to professional athletes who have made insane amounts of money and then turned around and lost every penny. A lot of the names are very familiar to us, like boxer Mike Tyson, who earned $400 million in his professional career and then lost all of it, or boxer Evander Holyfield, who earned $250 million and lost all of it, or pitcher in the major leagues, Kurt Schilling, $115 million earned and lost, Terrell Owens in the NFL, $80 million earned and lost, and I could go on and on and on. Can you even imagine losing $400 million? Anybody? I mean, that just sounds crazy to us. But it doesn't matter how much money you have if you're not willing to take control of your finances. And that's why for so many people, money is the greatest source of stress in their lives. That's why studies indicate that two-thirds of all married couples report that their most serious conflicts revolve around money and that disagreements about money is one of the most significant causes of divorce in our country today. And while, again, it's easy to think that the answer to all of those problems is more money that's simply not true. The answer is taking control of whatever amount of money it is that you already have. And so we're going to spend some time talking about that this morning. And here's the deal. I don't have a specific passage of Scripture that we're going to use this morning. You know when you come in here uh, every weekend to worship, I stand up and say, hey, good morning, everybody. And then almost immediately I say, let's grab our Bibles and turn to, and I give you a passage of Scripture. We turn to that passage, we read it, and then we work our way verse by verse by verse through the passage of Scripture. That's what we do. We study the Bible verse by verse by verse. I love that. Somebody else love that? Somebody say amen to that. I love that. We got our Bibles. We might as well use them, right? But I don't have a passage like that today. We're going to have to use a lot of different Scriptures. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to put Proverbs 13, 16 up on the screen, and then I'm going to ask you, if you're able this morning, to go ahead and stand with me, and we're just going to read that verse together. So do that. Proverbs 13, 16. We're going to read it together this morning. Let me hear your voices. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on, well, what we'll call the recitation of His Word this morning. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. What I'm going to do over the next several minutes is I'm going to give you five practical ways that you can take control of your finances. And these are five practical ways that can work and will work for you, again, regardless of whether you have a little or a lot. But before I do that, let me just take a minute and share from my heart. You know, one of the reasons why we do this stewardship series every year, and we do, if you've been here at Mount Pleasant for any length of time, you know it's a part of our history. It's a part of the history of this church before I came here, and that's been a long time ago. We normally do it right here in the fall, around November, but we do this, this series uh, on finances every year because, quite frankly, I have this responsibility of raising and sustaining a certain amount of money to fund the ministry of this church. You have to be a pretty naive person, honestly, 
to walk onto the campus of this church and see how big and how expansive it is, or to be here for any length of time and hear about all the different ways we minister in this community and around the world and not understand that it takes money to make that ministry happen. I mean, that's just a fact of life, and I'm not ashamed of that. And I'm never hesitant or I'm always unapologetic when it comes to talking about money. And so that's a big part of why we do this series. But along with that, having said that, I want you to know, and this is just for my heart, I have a genuine passion in my life to try to help people experience financial peace and financial freedom in their life because I am someone who believes it can happen for you, again, regardless of your income level. I've learned a lot about money over the years. I've learned a lot about managing money over the years in my personal life, and I've been the pastor of a very small church, a large church, and now a mega church. and I've had a lot of experiences with money along the way. And I really genuinely believe that it's possible for you to learn how to take control of your finances and experience that financial peace and that financial freedom that I'm talking about. Listen, I've had all the same experiences in life that you have, all of them. Got married, had children, raised children, paid for college educations, paid for weddings, all of those things. In fact, I probably had more than many of you have because most of you are fortunate enough that you've never suffered through any serious health problems in your life and encountered the large medical bills that come along with that, and I have. And so I'm not talking to you from up here. I'm talking to you right here, face to face. I'm not any different than you are when it comes to handling money, and I know that everyone can experience financial peace and financial freedom in their life regardless of what their income level is. All you've got to do is be willing to take control of your finances. And so, having said that, if you'd like to take notes, we're going to dive into these five practical truths, and I'm obviously going to have to do them pretty quickly. The first thing that I want you to write down if you'd like to take notes next to number one is you have to commit to becoming a lifelong learner. And I'm talking about being a lifelong learner about money, about handling money. And this, friends, is the application of that verse that we just read a moment ago, Proverbs 13, 16, where the proverb writer says, every prudent man acts out of knowledge. Everyone say knowledge. Knowledge. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool, a foolish man, exposes his folly. This is the application for that verse. Let's be honest and admit that most of us probably were never taught a single thing about money. Growing up, for example, especially if you're in my generation, because that was really uh, the way it was for folks in my generation, most of us grew up never being taught anything about how to understand money or taught anything about how to handle money, and we're too embarrassed to admit that. We'd rather go through life making one financial mistake after another than admit that and ask for help. Because handling money is one of those things in our culture that we just assume everybody understands and everybody knows about it, but that's just not the case. So I've learned over the, the, the years of my adult life how to handle money in a way that leads to financial peace and financial freedom. I'm confident there are a lot of people here today who are a lot smarter than I am when it comes to money, but I have learned how to do this, and I want to share that with you. And here's how I learned. When I was young, I made the commitment to learn as much as I could about money, as much as I could, because nobody ever taught me about money. The only thing my father ever said to me about money when I was young was, we don't talk about money. How many of you had a similar experience? That was it. Literally, those words from his mouth are the only words I can ever remember related to money. We don't talk about money. And so I began 
on a journey when I was a young man in my early 20s to learn as much as I could about money. I wrote a blog post the other, uh, about a week ago that was simply called My Best Money Advice, and let me just read you an excerpt from it. It says this, so I began to read whatever I could get my hands on related to money. In the beginning, I read books written by Larry Burkett, How to Manage Your Money, and Ron Blue, How to or excuse me, Ron Blue, Master Your Money. These books taught me about the importance of managing money with a plan. I read The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clayson and learned about the power of compounding interest. I read The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas J. Staley and learned that anyone, everyone say anyone, anyone, anyone can save a great deal of money and even become a millionaire if you spend less than you earn and invest well. Later on, I read books by Dave Ramsey and by David Bach. The bottom line is this, I took the time to educate myself when it came to handling money. Years later, I can tell you it was one of the most important things I've ever done. Now, listen, I'm not, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not here patting myself on the back about this, and I'm not saying that I've never made any financial mistakes in my life because I have. But here's the deal, and this is behind the idea of becoming a lifelong learner. When I was young, I realized I had two choices when it came to handling money. We all do. The first choice is to simply say, I don't know, and no one ever taught me. Or I could make the commitment to becoming a lifelong learner. And it's that commitment in your life, in my life, in anyone's life that can lead ultimately to financial peace and financial freedom. And quite honestly, folks, we make that easy for you here at Mount Pleasant. We make it way easier for you today than it ever was for me because every year throughout the course of a calendar year, multiple times we offer courses like Financial Peace University and The Legacy Journey. Financial Peace University is a program from Dave Ramsey. Everybody knows who Dave Ramsey is unless you've been living under a rock for the last 20 years. That is designed to give you step, a step-by-step-by-step plan of how to take control of your finances. The Legacy Journey is a program from Dave Ramsey that is designed to teach you once you've gotten control of your finances to make sure that you finish strong in your life. That's why it's called the Legacy Journey. But that's not all we do. You know, we have a financial freedom ministry here, and we have people in this church who have gone down to Dave Ramsey's headquarters in Franklin, Tennessee, and become certified financial coaches, and they offer financial coaching to people in this church. And friends, you know what? And this is the great thing about Mount Pleasant. Not just people in this church, we offer that to people in this community. And you know what it costs you? It doesn't cost you anything. If you're willing to come in and sit down with somebody, they'll give you the financial coaching you need to try to get your life on track when it comes to handling money. We offer budgeting workshops throughout the years. If you just pay attention to the bulletin at MPTV, you see that. Listen, you want to you experience financial peace and financial freedom in your life, then you begin by making a commitment to becoming a lifelong learner when it comes to money. Right down next to number two. The second thing you've got to make a commitment to is you've got to know where the money goes. This is definitely one of the key components of taking control of your finances, knowing where the money goes. And there's only one way to do that, friends, and that's by living your life with a spending plan. Now, the word spending plan is just a modern way to say budget. Because you know what? Budget is a bad word to a lot of people. But people, a lot of people hate the word budget because it's all about what I can't do and it's all about restrictions. And so we use the word spending plan. But just to show that we're big, strong people today, let's all say the word budget together. Here we go. Budget. Oh, man, wasn't that great? It's like a, like a weight just lifted off of your shoulders because you said that. But we'll just call it 
a spending plan. We've got to have a plan for how we handle whatever amount of money God has entrusted to us. I'm sure all of us have had the experience of having money in our pocket at the beginning of the day, having it gone at the end of the day, and looking back not knowing exactly where it went. Here are a couple of verses I've always shared with you over the years when it comes to the importance of keeping track of your money. Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24 say, Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Why? For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this because we talk about it on some level every year. But one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people never experience financial freedom or financial peace in their life is because they simply don't pay enough attention to their finances. In ancient days, it would be that they don't pay enough attention to their flocks and their herds. A foundational principle of taking control of your finances is is knowing how much is coming in, how much is going out, and exactly where it's going. Now, most of us probably know how much is coming in, but we don't really know how much is going out, and we certainly don't know where it's going. And if that's you, then you don't have control over your finances. One of the authors that I've enjoyed reading later in my life was a guy, or is a guy, he's still around, this guy named David Bach. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. He's kind of a contemporary of Dave Ramsey, but maybe not as well known. David Bach. He spells his last name B-A-C-H. And one of the things that he's well known for is writing about what he calls the latte factor. And the point behind the latte factor, and this speaks to the importance of knowing where the money goes, is small amounts of money spent on a regular basis cost us more than we imagine. And he uses the purchase of a latte, the daily purchase of a latte as his example. Now, I don't drink coffee. I don't drink lattes. I don't have any idea what it costs to buy a latte whether you go to the Connection Cafe, if we even sell them there, or you go to Starbucks. I got no knowledge about that. But using David Box the latte factor, let's just assume that it takes $5 a day to buy a latte, and so you buy one every day, 365 days a year, which means you're spending $1,825 annually on a latte. All right? And you don't think anything of it. We don't think anything of the small expenditures in our life because we don't really know where our money is going for the most part. Well, let's say that you decide instead of buying a $5 latte every day, you're going to invest that amount of money. Instead of spending $1,825 a year on lattes, you're going to invest $1,825 a year in just some kind of a simple uh, investment that just pays you a 6% return. Let's say you begin with a balance of $1,825, and then you invest $1,825 every year for the next 30 years at a simple conservative 6% return where the interest is calculated on a quarterly basis. If you did that for 30 years, at the end of 30 years, you'd have a balance of $167,000. and it was just $5 a day. $5 a day, over 30 years, taking advantage of the miracle of compounding interest. $5 a day. Now, I'm looking out here at the audience, and the truth is some of us, honestly, the latte factor has sailed for us. You know why? Because we don't got 30 years left in this life, right? I mean, let's be honest. I I don't have 30 years left in this life. I don't think I do anyway. And if that, and, and looking at you, honestly, <laughs> many of you don't either. And if you're really, really concerned about that, then I've got the baptistry heated up in the back after the service is over. 
But I'm also looking around and I'm seeing a lot of young faces. I'm seeing a lot of young faces. And you do have 30 years of life left. You do have the opportunity to take advantage of saving a small amount of money in a way that gives you a big return. If you start now, you do it consistently and faithfully. And that's just $5 a day, $5 a day. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. How much money do you spend a day? How many of us would really be able to answer that question honestly? How much money do you spend a day? And I guess the follow-up question would be, where does that money go? If you can't answer those questions, then you're probably costing yourself a lot of money. And the way to solve that problem is simply knowing where your money goes, giving careful attention to your money, which is a huge part of experiencing financial peace and financial freedom. One of the absolute best things you can do in your life when it comes to managing money is to simply keep a record of every dollar you spend over the course of an entire month, every single dollar. Now, is that a pain in the butt? Yeah, it absolutely is. But it's one of the best things that you can do because it's the first step to knowing where your money, where your money goes. Because when you keep good financial records, <clears throat> excuse me, when you keep good financial records, you manage money, whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you from a position of knowledge and a position of strength, and that will benefit you in the long run. Remember our verse, every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool, a foolish man exposes his folly by not knowing where the money goes. Right down next to number three, commit to getting out of debt and staying out of debt. I know this can be an emotional issue for a lot of people, but we need to talk about it for a, mu a few minutes from the perspective of the Bible. I want you to listen to me and what I'm about to say really close. While the Bible does not specifically prohibit debt, did you hear what I said? The Bible, while the Bible does not specifically prohibit debt, you can't pick up your Bible, nobody can pick up their Bible and go chapter and verse and show you a place where it absolutely says that it is against the will of God to go into debt or it's a sin to go into debt or anything like that, regardless of what anybody wants to tell you, while the Bible never specifically prohibit debts, the Bible does not have one single good thing to say about debt. Not one. In fact, let me show you what, let me show you what is probably the most significant thing the Bible says about debt. It's Proverbs 22 and verse 7. This is so important. I want you to read it with me. Let me hear your voices. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's so important. We're going to read it twice. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, honestly, that's pretty straightforward and clear, and yet it doesn't stop people. It doesn't stop a lot of Christians from going into debt today. And here's why, and this will resonate with you if you were here last week and you heard my message last week. The reason why it doesn't keep us from going into debt today is because we live in a world, we live in a country, and we live in a culture where debt is normal. It's just accepted as a normal part of life. Dave Ramsey has written these words, debt is so ingrained into our culture that most Americans can't even envision a car without a payment, a house without a mortgage, a student without a loan, and a credit without a card We've been sold debt with such repetition and with such fervor that most folks can't conceive of what it would be like to have no payments. Look on the screen at these words from Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. That's what the proverb writer says. The plans of the diligent lead to profit 
as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, I look at that verse and I see two things. First of all, I see the importance of saving money. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. The second thing I see is the danger of debt, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, if somebody came up to you and asked you which of these words you would like to describe your financial life and your financial condition, the two words were profit and poverty, what would you choose? That's a no-brainer, right? We would choose the word profit. But that's not the way we live our lives when we become slaves to debt. We look around and we start to feel the pressure of keeping up with our peers, keeping up with the Joneses when it comes to houses and when it comes to cars and when it comes to vacations and when it comes to toys and on and on and on. But let me tell you something, friends. Let me just let you in on the secret. The Joneses are broke. Our peers, so often, the people that we're trying to keep up with are broke. And they're broke because of consumer debt. Because they're so deep in consumer debt that oftentimes they don't even know how they can crawl out. Consumer debt is a huge problem in our culture today. And it's not the answer for anyone because consumer debt will never allow you to get ahead. It will do just the opposite and it will hold you back. By the way, consumer debt is debt owed as a result of purchasing goods that are consumable, or in other words, goods that don't appreciate over time. I'm talking about the debt we have on our credit cards. I'm talking about personal loans to buy furniture, appliances, jewelry, boats, jet skis, go on vacation, whatever else it might be. I'm talking about car loans. I'm not including home mortgages in that because oftentimes homes can be viewed as personal investments because they have the ability to increase in value. But having said that, listen to me, friends, if you've got any level of life experience as an adult, you know this is true. That's not always the case anymore. Homes don't always appreciate in value today because everything about our economic lives is subject to things that happen outside of our control. Like in 2008, when the housing bubble burst, and all of a sudden people had homes that they owed more money on than they were worth. How many people you think bought a house back then believing that it was going to be one of their safest investments? It doesn't always work that way. There's lots of dynamics that can impact that, and we don't have time to talk about them today. But the bottom line is this, consumer debt is killing the financial health of so many people in America today because so many people in America today cannot simply envision a life where they have to say, no, I can't afford that. Even though that's what so many of us need to do. I'll never forget several years ago, I was counseling a couple here at Mount Pleasant. They, they moved away from here many, many years ago. Wonderful couple. I loved them deeply. But I was counseling them about their finances. They were deep in debt because they had no financial margin in their life, zero. You know what I mean by that? Financial margin, we have financial margin in our life when we've got more money coming in than we've got going out. But they were spending more money than what was coming in. And so their situation was as bad as any I'd ever seen before. And there's really, honestly, only one first step to that kind of problem. You stop spending money you don't have. You stop going into debt. You stop spending money you don't have. I thought we had a good meeting. I thought we had a good discussion. I think we were going in the, I thought we were going in the right direction. The next time we got together, they were so excited to tell me about a spring break vacation they were taking to New York with their two girls. They were flying to New York, staying in a nice hotel, eating at some very famous restaurants, and going to multiple Broadway shows. And me, 
I ask the obvious question. How are you going to afford that? And they said, well, we think it's more important right now to give our girls some lifetime memories than it is to worry about getting out of debt. I'm going to tell you something, friends, real important. Spending money you don't have, regardless of your motivation, will never lead to financial peace and financial freedom in your life. Never. Never. I love my two children. Uh, and when they were growing up, there's nothing that Sandy and I wouldn't have done for them. But they will tell you. In fact, you can ask them. If you have a relationship with them, you can ask them. They will tell you that for many years, the only vacation we would go on in the summer was to go to the North American Christian Convention in exotic and exciting places like St. Louis, Missouri, Cincinnati, Ohio, Kansas City, Missouri, and one time when my kids were small, Indianapolis, Indiana. Now, Sandy was always great. She did research before we would go, and she would find things for the kids to do. And like when we came to Indianapolis, she took the kids down to the Children's Museum, and that was a great experience, and they had fun doing things like that. But sometimes that was our only vacation. While their friends were going on vacation to exciting places like the beach or Disney World or cruises or things like that. And here's why. Because I would rather give my children a foundation of strong financial stewardship that will one day lead to strong financial health in their lives, and I've taught my children about managing money over the years, than spend money that we didn't have in a way that would be harmful to the financial health of our family. Spending money that you don't have, presuming on the future with regard to that money, will never, ever lead to financial peace and financial freedom regardless of what your motivation is for spending that money. So if you're in debt today, and I'm talking about this consumer debt that's killing so many people in our culture today, according to a site called thebalance.com, the average credit card debt in America in 2019 is $8,398, then you need to begin to take steps today to get out of that debt. And the simplest thing you can do, friends, I told you about our financial freedom ministry. I told you about Financial Peace University and the legacy journey that are coming up. The simplest thing you can do is when this service is over, walk out those doors into the common, and there'll be somebody at the financial freedom table who can talk to you about those classes or can talk to you about financial coaching and help you begin to get your financial life in order. I'm going to put this verse from Proverbs 21.5 up on the screen one last time. Just to emphasize it, the proverb writer says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. What word do you want to characterize your financial life? Profit or poverty? Write down next to number four. Start saving money today. Let me give you my two favorite verses for saving money. The first one is Proverbs 13.11. The proverb writer says, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. The second one is Proverbs 21 and verse 20 that says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. If you want to take control of your life and your finances, you need to start saving money today. And don't let the excuse, I don't have enough money to save, 
keep you from doing that because, again, Proverbs 13, 11 says, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. I am a person who is deeply committed to savings, and I don't know what to tell you, friends. I had the saver's gene when I was a little boy. I would get my allowance, and I would stick it in my sock drawer and wouldn't save it. I had a brother that's 17 months older than me who we shared a room our whole lives, and his money was gone by the end of the day, and mine was safe and secure in my my sock drawer. What made the difference between the two of us? I have absolutely no idea other than I obviously have the deep blessing of God on my life. I'm just kidding. Just come breathe. Breathe with me here, okay? Breathe with me, all right? But I love saving money. In fact, I'm 61 years old, and I save all my change every day. I put it in a piggy bank, a literal piggy bank, a bank shaped like a pig on the top of my chest. And when it's full, I take it down to the bank. I, I, well, I get it out. I roll the money. I do the work ahead of time. I roll the money and I take it down to the bank and I cash it in. I did that a week ago and I cashed my piggy bank in for $93 and I felt like I hit the jackpot. And I'm sure some of you probably save your change uh, as well. Maybe you're not as deliberate about it as I am, but if you do, then that's a good thing. And when it's time to cash it in, don't take it to Kroger or Meyer and pour it in one of those machines that separates it for you because they're going to charge you a fee to do that. You roll it out, you walk into the bank with your head held high, you take it to the counter, and you get your cash. You cash in your money, and then you can go buy a new pair of shoes, just like I did, and feel good about it. I am somebody who just likes to save money, and you need to be somebody who saves money as well. In my opinion, the two most important things you can do when it comes to saving money is this. Number one, regardless of what season of life you're in, begin today. Begin today. That's true for everybody, but listen to me. If you're young, I mean, if you're a if middle school or high school or even elementary school, you begin today because you have all these years ahead of you. And if you do that well and you get somebody to guide you, then that can bless you in the long term. If you're an older person like I am, and honestly, you don't have as many years left, you still need to start saving money today. And when you save, you need to save for the short term, what we call an emergency fund, and you need to save for the long term. Neither one of those can be ignored. If you don't save money for the short term, what we would call an emergency fund, then any kind of financial disruption can be disastrous to you and your family. You have to replace a car. You have an appliance that breaks down or a home repair. Or worse, friends, you go to the doctor and you've diagnosed with something you never thought you would be diagnosed with. And now you've got to get all this medical treatment that are going to lead to all these medical bills, deductibles on health insurance policies and things that aren't covered and on and on and on. Or you lose a job and all of a sudden you don't have a paycheck. This can be a financial disaster for anybody who doesn't save money for the short term. Let me just ask you a question, okay? Listen, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. I love change for a dollar. I'm sure you would say the same. It is absolutely hands down one of my most favorite things I've ever been involved in in ministry in almost 40 years. I love change for a dollar stories. I love being able to help people. But let me just ask you this. What, what is the money spent on most of the time in change for a dollar? When we hear the story and we will say change for a dollar and we say change for a dollar funds will go to what is it? It's car repairs, it's medical bills, it's home repairs. 
And you know why? And please don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful that we get a chance to help with those things. I don't, don't misunderstand me. But you know why? Because let's be honest, we live, most of us live our lives like we're bulletproof. Like nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. And that is naive and unrealistic. It's naive and unrealistic to, to think that you're never going to have some kind of a health issue that you need to be prepared for, especially the older you get. And it's naive and unrealistic to think that you're never going to have some kind of a major repair bill in your life related to any number of things. And so you absolutely have to save money, and you have to save first for the short term. You have to have an emergency fund, but you also have to save for the long term, or you can find yourself in deep trouble at the end of your career. I'm deeply concerned about everything that I read about the baby boomer generation, which is the generation I'm a part of. That's people who were born between the years of 1946 and 1964. There's a bunch of us baby boomers here in this service today. And everything I read talks about how little money baby boomers have saved for the future. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you're not able to work anymore? Either because somebody says it's time for you not to work anymore or you're physically not able to work anymore. What are you going to do? If you're a baby boomer, if you're an older person or, or, or toward, more toward the end of your life than the beginning and you've not saved money, then you need to start today. And let me just give you a resource. This is not going not to be a slide on, on the screen. But one of the books that I read by a man named David Bach, again, he spells his last name B-A-C-H, is Start Late, Finish Rich. Start Late, Finish Rich. If you're older and you haven't saved any money, then when you go home today, you get on Amazon and you order that book and you read it. It's about that thick and you read it from cover to cover. But listen, friends, those of you who are young, man, start today and let the miracle of compounding interest work in your favor. You don't have to save a lot of money, large amounts of money, if you start young enough and you do it right to one day have a lot of money. Remember the illustration of $5 a day? The second thing that I can tell you about saving, the first important thing is begin today. The second thing I would tell you is make it automatic. I make all of my savings and have for years automatic. I make almost all of my giving automatic as well. And I do that for two simple reasons. You can't miss what you don't see and you can't spend what you don't see. And the truth is most people are not disciplined when it comes to savings. Honestly, most people aren't disciplined when it comes to giving. And so you need to make that automatic. Now, before I go to my last point, let me just say one more thing that might sound a little odd, but I really believe this is true when it comes to saving money. Saving requires discipline, not money. And you're probably thinking, well, pastor, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard because you have to have money to save. But that's not the point. The point is the most important aspect of saving money is having the discipline to do it, not the amount of money you save. And this is what it comes down to for most people. It's about discipline. The discipline to say no to certain things so that you can save money today. Write down next to number five, be consistently generous. The Bible commands us to be generous. In fact, we talked about that last week. I'm gonna put some words on the screen from 1 Timothy chapter six. And notice how it begins. It begins with the word command. Everyone say command, command. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. And that's us. Remember, we talked about that last week. By, by the strictest definition, those who are rich in this present world, I told you last week, if you made $32,400 a year, that puts you in the top 1% of all income earners in the whole wor world, the entire world, $32,400. This, this speaks to all of us. 
Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now note this again, command them to do good, watch this, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The Bible commands us to be generous. I'm deeply thankful. I am so deeply grateful for the generous people in this church who every single week support the financial needs of this church. I want you to hear me say this. I am so deeply thankful for you. I don't know who you are because I don't know anything about what anybody gives in this church. Not a thing. But I'm thankful, I'm deeply, deeply grateful for you. Those of you who support the financial ministry of this church. But let me just be real honest with you this morning and tell you, here's the reality for many Christians, and maybe this describes you. Many Christians, they don't give generously like that. They only give when it's easy to give. And then when things come up, or other opportunities to use that money in other ways comes along, then God is the first person that gets cut out of the budget. The church is the first person that gets cut out, cut out of the budget. And I'm just gonna be really, really frank with you for just a, three or four minutes. And if you're a first time guest with us today, then I hope that you'll just hear my heart because I'm just talking to my church folks here for a moment. Our church follows the same pattern every single year. Every year, I think it's going to be different, but it never changes. We, we operate by a fiscal year that goes July 1st to June 30th. And, you know, the latter part of the fiscal year is usually pretty good because people usually give money at the end of the year. And so we're usually in pretty good shape by the time July 1st rolls around. But what happens around July 1st? That's the middle of the summer. What do people do in the middle of the summer? They go on vacation. They're not in church. They're involved in all kinds of activities. Then August rolls around, school starts, and we've got back-to-school expenses. Then before you know it, it's fall break, and we've got a whole new round of vacations. And then we roll into this time of the year where we are right now in November, and we are always, every single year, behind our budgeted need, which threatens our ability to fund the different obligations that we have in this community and around the world every single year. And we're a generous church. Our church, if you're a guest with us today, everything that you see related to our church is completely paid for. Our church is completely debt-free because of the generosity of this church and because of the money that has been well-managed over the years. But we don't have the savings that we once had because our church has a big vision. And we have this church here in Greenwood, but our church has spread out across the city in what we call impact sites. We have Impact Old Southside. We have Impact Fairfax. We have Impact Bethany. That's an extension of Mount Pleasant Christian Church in different parts of the city of Indianapolis. We just don't call them Mount Pleasant. We use that word impact. Now, all of those impact sites have required a significant amount of capital expenditures over the last year to two years. And so that's, that means we don't have quite as much money in reserve as we used to have. And you, along with that, every year this church gives away to local and global mission partners about $2 million. Now, when our church is behind with our budgeted needs, I do what I would do if it was my own situation in my own family. I cut back. And we don't spend money that we don't have. We don't. 
I'm never going to lead this church by spending money that we don't have. And that's the reality of the situation every year, including this year. And so here's what I'm going to say to you, friends. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Sustaining the growth and funding the ministry of this church requires a commitment to generosity from every single one of us. Every single one of us, not just a handful. We shouldn't come to church as consumers and not be contributors at the same time. We could just contribute with our service, but we should contribute with our finances as well so that God can continue to work through this church to change the world one life, one family, and one opportunity at a time. Giving only when it's easy to give is a bad habit for two reasons. Number one, it shows a lack of gratitude to God for all he's done for us in the past. And number two, it shows a lack of trust for God to provide for us in the future. There's a book in the Old Testament, the very last book, it's called the book of Malachi, and there's a section at the end of the book where God's people, God called his people on the carpet because they were putting themselves above God in regard to money. And God spoke some harsh words to them through the prophet Malachi. This is Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you? And God answered, in tithes and offerings. They were spending money on themselves to the neglect of God and the people of God and the ministry of God. I don't ever want to be guilty of robbing God, ever. But that's what I would be doing if my commitment to be generous to the work of this church, the work that God is doing through this church was dependent on how much money I was spending in my own personal life on other things. And so let me close with some words I've shared with you before. Brian and the team can come. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I don't care who you are, what season of life you're in. I don't care how much you make or how little you make. You can experience financial peace and freedom in your life. It's God's will for you to experience financial peace peace and financial freedom in your life, but not apart from a commitment to take control of your finances and not, a com not apart from a commitment to trust God in everything. I want you to pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to talk about these things. I pray that you would teach us, convict us, and uh, give us a desire to honor you in the way we handle whatever amount of money you entrust to us. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.